Hi, this is Robert Wall, and you are listening to the one, the only, my longtime buddy, Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. Need I say more? Need I say more? This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre and our engineer Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is our favorite kind of guest, a New Yorker. He's also a producer, an Oscar-nominated director, a documentary filmmaker, and one of the most visible, versatile, and respected actors of his generation. He's produced prestige films, including Baby It's You, White Palace, Once Around, Chilly Scenes of Winter, the Sidney Lamette directed Running on Empty, and a personal favorite of this podcast, the Martin Scorsese directed After Hours, in which he also starred as the tormented hero Paul Hackett. As a director, he's helmed the movies Practical Magic, Addicted to Love, Fierce People, and the Academy-nominated short The Duke of Groove. He's also produced and directed a terrific documentary about his legendary aunt, Joan Didion, called Joan Didion, The Center Will Not Hold. But it's his decades of excellent work as an actor that's his best, that he's best known for, appearing in dozens of notable TV shows such as Frasier, Damages, House of Lies, The Good Wife, This Is Us, The Romanoffs, and I Love Dick, as well as his feature films, My Girl, Quiz Show, Who's That Girl, Search and Destroy, Dallas Buyers Club, and of course, An American Werewolf in London. Frank and I are excited to welcome to the podcast an artist of multiple interests and talents and a man who says he once watched director Otto Preminger freak out during a bad acid trip. Griffin Dunn. <laughs> I sound fascinating. <laughs> Hi, Griffin. <laughs> How you doing? I am really well. So, very, very so well. I guess we're going to have to start with that. Yeah, let's. <laughs> let's. No, true story. As a matter of fact, you mentioned the movie Duke of Groove. Yeah. That's, it was a very kind of autobiographical. It was the very first thing I ever did uh, as a director. And, and uh, uh, it was based on a party I went to at my aunt and uncle at John and Joan, John Dunn, Joan Didion's house in 1969 and my mother brought me and it was on a school night and she brought me because I begged her to because I knew that Janis Joplin was going to be there and I love Janis Joplin and um, 
So when we got to this party, I said to my mom as we were pulling up on the driveway, I said, can you just pretend you don't know me? <laughs> and uh, I was pretty sure Janice was going to, like, meet me and, uh, you know, say, who are you here with? And I don't want to say my mom, you know. So I'm walking through. Of course, she ignored me, as did everyone at the party. I'm waiting for Janice, but as I'm walking around, no one talked to me. You know, people kind of hid joints as I walked away. I was like 13. Until this guy uh, in a in a Nehru uh, jacket uh, wearing a gold um, necklace um, who I recognized immediately as Colonel Clink from Hogan's Heroes. And he goes, come here, come here. <laughs> It was. I sit here. You have your nice vibes. You you vibe very nice. You stay here. You stay here. I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out on the acid. I took the acid. As you are the only only life here. Do not leave me. Do stay here. And he's holding onto my hand, really close. And I'm looking at him closer, and I realize it's not Colonel Clint from Hogan's Heroes. So it's less impressive. And. Um, he's just a bald German guy, as far as I know. I didn't know who Otto Preminger was. And uh, I, I finally, you know, extricate myself. And he goes, stop, halt, halt. You know, he didn't say, I will have you shot, but it sounded like wow. it, you know. And and I moved on to the rest of the party. And, and, and so the movie, that scene is not in the movie, but it's about Tobey Maguire, who played, you know, my alter ego in it. About the adventures that he has walking through the party and all the incredible people he meets in this one it's night. It's very good. It's on YouTube. People can see it. Yeah, they actually put it on see YouTube it. in four parts. <clears throat> I know, and it's yeah. all screwed up but yeah. because they, the ending, YouTube, for some reason, cuts it off. I know. Go to Vimeo. Vimeo, okay. Much, and it's all in one fell swoop. It's a nice 30, 40-minute film. Uh, it's very sweet. It could have been a my feature. Name. Hmm? It could have been a feature. I know, it's it's Cameron Crowe-esque, if I may say. Yes, I did. I, I thought the same. And, yeah. well, and well. you have no idea of the images floating through uh, Otto Preminger's mind. Maybe he was doing You're research for Skidoo. <laughs> Some dark, dark stuff. <laughs> and do you remember one of her? One of his movies was um, the Sterile Cuckoo. Yes. Do you remember with the scar on Liza Minnelli's face? Was that his? Yes. I, th I think that's Pakula. Oh, you know what? You're right. That's oh. Alan Pakula. You know your stuff. But yeah. anyway, yeah. But you know, uh, there's. Um, I looked him up. I, I think he's not even German. I think it might be his. Austrian. 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 Yeah. 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 Well, he made that movie Skidoo, where where Gleason supposedly took acid. Remember this movie oh, that he made with right. Gleason yeah. and Groucho? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. You may have caught him in mid-research. Yeah. There's we, a, also, you know, the famous story of him um, actually setting Gene Seberg on fire as John of Arc. Oh, yeah, that one I know. Yeah. And uh, while she was being burned at the stake, they really heated her up. They he did? Wanted, yeah, he wanted that look. Um, and she, they got the look of terror and then, you Saint know, Joan. got rid of the fire. Yeah. yeah. Not a liked guy. Hmm? Not a not a well liked guy. Oh no Preminger. no, he's brutal, brutal yeah. on his actresses. Yeah, yeah, everybody hated him. Yeah, we had uh, Austin Pendleton. He on the show. Him. He liked him. Yes, <laughs> yeah, was, I liked Otto. That was <laughs> shocking. But you know, I think he was different toward uh, men than he was toward women. You know, actresses. Interesting. This was n not atypical of your childhood doing things like this. I mean, no. this is the, the the fun thing about one of the fun things about researching you is is hearing about everybody that came to the house. And I was telling Gilbert, I mean, Wilder and George Stevens and yeah. Selznick 
and all of these people yeah. that you grew up around, and uh, unfortunately being too young to recognize I, the I, value. I'm so bummed about that, yeah. you know, because I, I, uh, they're just, you know, and I, I was just reading a biography of a guy named um, Ivan Moffat. Now, Ivan Moffat was a guy who smoked English with this very posh English accent. And he would smoke, and they would go, the cigarettes, and I remember this as a little kid, would all get on his lap. And he was like, you know how adults can sometimes be ridiculous figures to a children, to a child. And, you know, I didn't find out till you know, he passed away recently. I didn't find out that, in fact, this guy is was with George Stevens, and they went and liberate in the liberation of Auschwitz. Yeah. Ivan is one of the photographers. Wow. Then he became a screenwriter and he wrote Shane. He wrote In a Lonely Place. Wow. He uh and Giant. I mean, you my 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 three favorite films. I should know that name. And then oh, it's fascinating. I mean, he would have been a great guest. Yeah. Um and uh and had an extraordinary life of lovers and all this kind of stuff. And that that was like the least known person, you know, that would that would come to the house. So yeah. um it's a fascinating childhood, and you're, you're talking about how they would sit at the your aunt, your uncle, and your dad would sit and talk about the weekend box office take and yeah. studio politics. Yeah, they were they, the um, that was that was our dinner table talk. And and your father was friends with Humphrey Bogart. I wouldn't say they were friends, but one of his he was uh, uh, my father was a stage manager in live television and um, uh, Playhouse ninety, and uh, one of they were going to do an episode in Los Angeles, a live episode broadcast from Los Angeles, and they sent him there to be the stage manager. Uh, and Humphrey Bogart was going to star in it, or did star in it. And uh, uh, Bogart said to him, you know, one day at the end, after the end of rehearsal, he goes, uh, you know, how do you like Los Angeles, kid? And he goes, you, know, you, you want to go to a party? And he goes, yeah, yeah, you know, put on a suit and we'll go to a party tonight. And he goes to this party, and it's like, Everyone in the world is 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 at this party, and 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 you know, um, you know, Bing Crosby's is singing at the piano, and you know, all the movie stars they grew up with were all there, and they all welcomed him. And he called up my mom that night. He goes, "We got to move to L.A. <laughs> that was it. Huh? We got to get out of New York. We're gonna be here." <laughs> there are different stories about it. There's a story that Bogart took a shine to him and brought him. To L.A. to do he, petrifi- he, a live version of Petrified Forest. Not true. I don't think he decided. I don't think it was. Maybe. You could be right about that. But I don't think. Uh, I thought that they met there. But, but he, I, he I might don't have. know. I'm not quite differing, sure. Differing uh, reports on it. But it's fascinating. And also that he was. <laughs> Gilbert got a kick out of this too. That your dad was the floor manager on Howdy Doody. I know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was. And what they would do is, uh, you know, before it would roll, they would take Howdy. <laughs> and they'd make him jerk off, jerk off, and go, ow, you know, and, just, and they would go down on Howdy, and they do all this shit like as they're counting off on the live television, four, three, two, and, thank you, Dick, and then they put Howdy back and walk away. <laughs> that is gold. They did filthy, filthy things to Howdy. That is gold. <laughs> 
I le- learned a lot about your dad doing the, the research. I mean, yeah. I knew I knew a lot about him. I didn't know about Howdy Doody. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I That's did, just for you. I did. I just God, didn't, how I wish there was a film of that. Can you imagine? Better <laughs> <laughs> be in an old kinescope somewhere. Yeah. I'd hope. And one of his jobs is bringing the kids into the peanut gallery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but he did it all. He edited. No, he, he talks I, about how he learned live television. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It was from the, from being experience. in the trenches. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I found fascinating too was the Sinatra story that he said that it was the, that when they were doing a live version of Our Town. Do I have this right? Yeah. And he said it was the first time he'd seen a star act out an an, an ego trip with 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 where they were doing this. I can't remember who the director was. It was a known director with Sinatra who gave the guy a really terrible time. But well, Sinatra, but but he says in the in the doc that Sinatra liked him. Uh, liked he, your what dad. dad said that. Yeah. Yeah, about about Sinatra. A, Did he tell the Sinatra story yeah. about the paying the major D to punch him in the face? That one I don't know. Oh, t- <laughs> well, tell it. <laughs> yeah, because uh, we didn't grow up liking Sinatra because of this very story. Um, there used to be a club in L.A. called the Daisy, uh-huh. and it was like a disco at night and a place to eat during the day, and with membership. And in like 1963 or so, <clears throat> um, my mother, who was a very very beautiful woman. Um, uh, and my dad walked into this, into the restaurant, the, where the, the maitre d' seated them. And, and, you know, when the maitre d' in those days, people would like send the maitre d' Christmas presents for their children and, you know, just to, you know, get, make sure they got the good table and all that kind of stuff. It was a real kind of community. And, uh, there was nobody there during the day except for them and Sinatra in the corner with Jilly Rizzo and about four four other guys, and uh, for some reason, uh, um, Sinatra had had like teased Dad or Mom at, at other things before, and she he he'd, he'd yell across the room, "Hey, when when are you going to get rid of that guy, Lenny, and you know come and meet a real man?" kind of thing. And so there's been those sort of taunts. Anyway, they're sitting at the table. Major D comes over. And he stands over my dad, and he's kind of kind of shaking, and he says, um, um, "Mr. Sinatra made me do this," and he whaps him across the face like with all of his strength, and Jelly and Frank roar with laughter, and uh, my dad and my mom they get up, they go, they leave, they go to their car. The maitre d comes out, he and he cries, he's burst into tears. And he goes, I, 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 he scared me. He scared me. And he, he offered me the money. He gave me $100 to do that. And I had to do that. And I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they never went back to the club again. Wow. So that was like our little childhood story about <laughs> Frank Sinatra. So, you know, when he became really in vogue and, you know, all my friends would go, oh, you know, the, the, the chairman of the board, and he's the coolest cat. <laughs> yeah. I go, I don't think he's that cool. You had a different take. I had a different take. Yeah. And and it's funny. It's like nowadays, if a celebrity did something like that, forget it. The world would know immediately. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's an interesting journey, though, for your dad, too. But he goes to work for this company, Four Star Studios, which was run by David, and I was telling Gilbert, mm-hmm. David Niven and, and, and Dick Powell. Guys Charles he liked. Boyer. And Charles Boyer. People he liked very, very, very much. Yeah. And he wound up being involved in all of this wonderful television. Some live mm-hmm. and, and shows that weren't live. I mean, uh, Richard Diamond, Wanted Dead or Alive. 
uh, The Rogues, Same Great Theater. A lot of really good early television. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Big Valley. Big Valley, yeah. It was it was considered a Tiffany production company. Yeah. You know, they were very classy in, in, in an era where, you know, there were a lot of silly shows. Now, having said that, those silly shows were the ones I watched. Of course. I we, would go to the set. I would go. His office was at Radford Studios at CBS. And I would go after school, and I wouldn't go see him. I would go right to the set of Gilligan's Island. That's great. I thought that lagoon was one of the most beautiful things <laughs> I ever saw great. in my life. I mean, that was that was nature to me. And then I go over to McHale's Navy and Gunsmoke, and you know, I would just wander onto these lots, and um, uh, those are my favorite. Shows. Entertaining fantasies of of being an actor, you know, at that point, there was I, I, there was a a series called I've looked it up on IMDB and I can barely I, I I still can't find it but I'm telling you it existed and it was called McKeever's Colonels and it was about a boys military school and uh and McKeever was a kid my age who was like nine or ten and I would go to the set and I would watch him work going I can do that I can do that I can definitely do that <laughs> and um I was so competitive with McKeever. And uh, one day I'm at, um, I'm in a, a playground. It's totally empty, the, the, the pl playground. And uh, I'm like playing basketball, you know, and just um, um, dribbling to myself. And all of a sudden I see this kid, McKeever, running at breakneck speed across the playground, being chased by about, Four or five kids. And I went, suddenly I went, oh my God, I, I got to protect, I got to save McKeever. I mean, they're going to hurt him, you know. And the McKeever goes and he climbs up this wire fence, you know, this chain link fence. And I'm just watching, you know, it, there's like my competition, but kind of hero. I kind of <laughs> idolized him. And he gets up and he screams down at them. He goes, I make more money than all your parents, so fuck you. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I like this kid. <laughs> How disillusioning. It really was. It was like my first brush with, you know, don't get to know your heroes. <laughs> but it's interesting, too, that your dad, and, and he was, we were talking before you got here, that he went on to produce... Good movies. Yeah. Boys yeah. in the Band and Panic in Needle Park. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But at some point decided that this was a life that that he wasn't cut out for. I mean, to, to quote him, he said he didn't have the balls yeah. of somebody like Selznick. He also, uh, you know, and this is also what he said, um, you know, he really he really self-destructed. You know, he was a very, uh, you know, he, he struggled with alcohol and drugs and he made some t terrible decisions. Um and 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 socially, and you know, he never got his uh, he never got his groove really when uh, he and my mom divorced. You mm -hmm. know, and he he, uh, he he was he was terribly lost, and um, and he made a he made a real flop movie called Ash Wednesday. We were talking Elizabeth about Taylor. it, yeah. And it was a it was a big flop, and he uh, you know was drunk and told a disparaging story about. Um, Sue Mengers, uh -huh. that ended up in the paper, even though he told it 
while he was in Italy, it ended up in the trades. And uh, uh, the vice president of Paramount called him up and said, when you get home, you know it's over, right? I mean, you're, you're over. And he went, yeah, I know, I know. And it was. He never worked again. And, um, and he ended up, you know, uh, kind of uh, working with, like, DVD or early, those laser discs, yeah. you know, and for RCA, you know, selling in this little crappy office. And it was a real come down. And uh, ended up going to Oregon. Because his car broke down, he lost all his money. That's fascinating, you know, like, too. You know, and then he reinvented himself. As a writer. As a writer. And, and became a very, very successful writer. Yeah, very. Yeah. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast after this. Is that the movie that you made with Margot Lynn that we were talking about outside, The Discoverers? Mm. It's in Oregon. It is Not in by Oregon. accident. By by total fluke. Oh, okay. That that there's a a. I mean, they the the directors and producer didn't know. Okay. Know, know that, but we were ended up shooting where my father's car broke down. It's a great and where the um, where the inn you know the the um, cabins uh, were that he he lived in exile in for over a year. You'd like this movie, Gilbert, with yeah. with Griffin and Stuart Margolin, who I was telling you we had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. terrific you, guest. He's he's a fun guy. Totally you, but you said guy. that it inspired your dad inspired the performance. I thought of him a great deal. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Th- throughout making that, uh, I thought of him a, a great deal. Good film. Now yeah. we've discussed after hours a number of times <laughs> on the podcast. We used to do smaller episodes on Thursdays where we'd each pick a movie we loved, uh-huh. and I picked After Hours, and we we and then we and we kept revisiting it. Because it's just it's just a movie that stays with you. Well, you know, you, you know that um, you're Marty's favorite comedian. You must have heard that before. Yeah, and you could tell by all the Scorsese films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. You, your imprint is on all of them. Um, did, did you like my work? In, <laughs> I'm not in, saying I lived in innocence. In Last Temptation of Christ. Oh, you were hilarious. Um, uh, no, I happen to know that because um, Marty chose you to give an award to Bob at Gracie Mansion, and I was there. Yes. I went to Gracie Mansion. With, with, I forget it was honoring De Niro or honoring Marty, but you gave the award, and you were hilarious. And Marty just, you know, you can't hear him when he laughs. <laughs> and you just... You just, uh, you know, killed him. But well, I, I was just thinking of that today in the shower. I, I oh, nice, I, Gilbert. I remember that. That was years ago. Yeah. I got a call at the last second that, oh, they were giving Marty an award. Was it Marty giving I the think award? because of preserving film. That's right, that's right, something like that. And, Who was... And, and I remember I did this, I, I did a whole bunch of jokes, and then that Koch... Was I was going to say it was Koch, right? Yeah. 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 And Koch just comes up afterwards with a completely confused look <laughs> on his face after I get off and goes, our next guest. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Scorsese's favorite? Yeah. You think you'd have brought That's that up, That's how that Gilbert. came about. Yeah. He goes, uh, uh, you know, he was doing it. And I think we all went in the car down to... 
So the award thing, he goes, I got Gilbert is doing this thing. He's the funniest guy. He's this funny. And he just, you know, he loves you. Wow. Yeah. How about that, Gil? Yeah. And and meanwhile. <laughs> He's a sucker for a Norman Fell reference. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and meanwhile, during every Scorsese film, I'm doing Mr. Chuckles in Indiana. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sir laughs a lot. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we had Rosanna here, as I told you. Yeah. But t- uh, tell me, I don't know the genesis of it. I don't know how you wound up. I know you and your, your your producing partner, Amy Robinson, wound up producing the film. Yeah. As well as you starring in it. Did you both find Joe, Joe Minion's script Oh, um, and bring it to Marty? Uh, no, a- Amy found it. She, she was, found it. She was at the... Um, uh, at the very first year of Sundance, not the festival, the the workshop, which mm-hmm. was at where where um, you know Redford has his house, and they 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 would do develop projects and you know, choose filmmakers, and then they would choose advisors. And I believe Amy was there, possibly as an advisor or whatever capacity. Uh, there was a, a a great Serbian director named Dujan Makaveev. And he had an assistant uh, who worked for him, who went to Columbia. He was a Columbia student, and he said, "You should read the script. My my uh, one of my students wrote it. Uh, he's my assistant, but he's a, he's a student at the school, and you, you should read it. It's 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 pretty good." And anyway, she called me up and said, "I have the greatest part in the world for you. This is like, and I haven't really. I only done it Werewolf, but sure." Um, and uh, you know, then I read the script. Uh, and it just gave me a complete anxiety attack and laughed at the same time. I had to read it standing up, turning the pages with my big toe and just would walk away going, oh, my God. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, the first person, because Amy was um, friendly with and uh, she was an actress in Mean Streets. Right. Um, he became like the very first person we thought of. The last movie he'd done was King of Comedy. And... Uh, which was totally different in tone, as you know. Um, and but she knew that he was funny, you know. Like, and and uh, so we gave him the script. Um, he went off to do Last Temptation and uh, uh, and couldn't couldn't do the movie. And so we started working with Tim Burton. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. interesting. And and, uh, and then Marty gets. Fired. They cancel Last Temptation. Uh, he's on his flight back. You know, they pull the plug on the thing, Paramount. And he's on the flight back from Casablanca or somewhere in Morocco. And there at the top of the pile is After Hours. And he lands. And we all had the same lawyer at the time, a great guy named Jay Julian. And he calls up Jay and goes, what's the story with that? That's what I want to do. And, uh, and, and, and Tim... At that time, we were only aware of him from a, um, they showed a, a comic or like a cartoon before a movie started, and it was his. And we went, whoever did that is the guy for After Hours. And we found him, and he, we, he was in Burbank, and he was an animator, and he had the, you know, the short sleeve right. button-up shirt with the pencil, pen packs, you know, with the ink draining through the pocket, you know, real nerd stuff. And but you could tell he was brilliant, and um, but it, this would have been his first movie, and um, so we said, you know, kookiest thing happened the other day. Uh, 
you, we told you we gave you the script to Marty, and uh, you know he's um, couldn't do it anyway. He now he wants to do it. So uh, anyway, we we're down the road with you. We were just like we were going to go through with what we were going to do. But he goes, wait, did you say Mr. Scorsese wants to do this movie? Well, yeah, yeah, but you know we said you know we're I, I I will not stand in the way of anything he wants to do. I respectfully withdraw. How about that? Yeah, would have been a different movie. I wildly think. different. Wildly different. Yeah. yeah. And, and when Scorsese was directing the actors, I heard you say in an interview that he would bring them a clip of film from different movies and say, I want this scene to be kind of like this scene in this movie. Yeah. There was like a, um, he was very inclusive with his thought process. And it was, it, it was more, it wasn't like saying you have to act, I want you to act like that. But he would say, this is what influenced me. These are the movies that, that uh, it was really like going to film school. I mean, in, all through pre-production, you know, we would either, and every movies were on, um, you know, those video cassettes. And uh, we looked at a ton of movies or we'd look at it in a screening room. Um, what was he showing you? Tempo, pace, tone? Just, just sort of tone, tone. influence. Oh, tone, you interesting. Know, Hitchcock, um, Third Man. He um, wanted it to be nightmarish. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and then if there was a movie I wasn't aware of and I wasn't there, he'd have an assistant bring down a video cassette, and you know I'd watch it on my own time. He goes, "Did you see the film?" I went, "Yeah." You think? And it wasn't like that's what I want you to do. We just wanted you to know. But it was also, you know, I was I was a young man, and he, uh, I I think. I don't think outside of, you know, uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. I don't think he'd worked with such a young guy, sure. you know, age difference-wise from him. So I think he was like, it was my education, too. You know, he wanted me to know all this stuff. And uh, and then that extended to everyone. I, I've yet to have this experience on a movie where he, on the um, on the sides or, on the and, you know, on the call sheet that the actors and everyone in the crew would get, for every page of dialogue there was another page of all the of the shot lists and very elaborate shots so that everyone knew what the shot was going to be and they were very elaborate shots and there'd be simple shots but he just put everyone from from you know at every level of uh in departments uh in the in the frame of mind interesting what a cast yeah yeah and Rosanna said the same thing that you said, that you would see him out of your peripheral vision shaking with laughter. Yeah, it was a great thing to see. <laughs> and, and one thing Frank and I, and I enjoyed very much was the story of how Scorsese said, or he said you shouldn't have sex. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted, <laughs> he felt very strongly that I... There would be a look in my eyes <laughs> if I went, you know, a couple of months without any release. And he wanted no release. <laughs> and uh, and then, um, I'm not going to tell you if I honored that or not, but, um, <laughs> but if I slipped, he could tell. Yeah. Um, so... Later, when we were promoting the movie, uh, Marty loved um, Dr. Ruth, 
Ruth Westheimer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't? And so he said, of all the interviews, you know, that we were doing together, he's the one who asked for her. And he goes, uh, and so um, <laughs> he and I are sitting, and Dr. Ruth is over there. We're doing the interview. He goes, so Marty tells me <laughs> that you did not have sexual release <laughs> for three months. <laughs> What was that like? <laughs> Did you ever have a, the orgasm? <laughs> when the shooting was over, uh, did you masturbate? Uh, <laughs> I could have died. <laughs> I could have fucking died. Wow. You know, it's a it's a rare episode where we get an Otto Preminger and a Dr. Ruth impression. Yeah, it's in, rare in, that in, I get in, a chance to do in it. In one show. Because I, I always heard that with coaches in, in and sports, athletes. yeah. In sports. Well, and fighters. And yeah, fighters. Yeah, yeah, fighters. Yeah, <laughs> we we love movies that show New York. You know, I mean, it's, I, yeah. I, I know you're a movie buff too. You know, movies like Serpico and the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. Yeah. You get to see old, real old Absolutely. New York. Yeah. Here's old New York in the '80s, right? That really doesn't exist anymore, especially Soho. And I heard you say you could lie down and fall asleep in the middle of those streets yeah, now, and it, nobody would nobody yeah. would bat an eye. It's like Rodeo Drive now. Yeah, but no, I know it's all gone. It's all gone. It's all. Uh... You know, people find that hard to believe that there was an area in New York that was so desolate. Yeah, I mean, we, we were both around then. You lived on St. Yes. Ma- St. Mark's Place. Uh, so you, yeah, you I lived that on world. Avenue A. Avenue A. Yeah. What years? Uh, like, oh, my God. I came from Brooklyn, and then I think it was like uh, in the 70s. Yeah. And I remember when I moved to Avenue A, uh, people were saying, what are you, out of your mind? You're moving, you're mm. living on Avenue A. And B and C during the daytime, you know, that was taking your life in your hands altogether. That was a suicide. That's the only time I've ever been mugged was, uh, I now live in the East Village, you know, three blocks or so from where I was first mugged. But the first time, and the only time in, in a sort of serious way, um, I was mugged. I sort of deserved it. Um <laughs> I was. Were you uh, mugged by Gilbert Griffin? Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I couldn't take it. <laughs> he was tough in those days. Uh, but I was with a friend, my best friend, and we uh, went to boarding school in the East Coast, and we were wearing our blazers, looking for the Fillmore East at night, and we got lost and went in the other direction, and. Uh, this kid, who may be a couple years older than us, a good deal bigger, managed to, like, mug us at the same time. He would, like, when he was holding one, he'd punch the other in the face, and then he'd switch off and punch the other in the face. And we would just get tossed back and forth. And uh, and I remember thinking, I totally deserve this. I mean, I'm looking in my little school blazer. <laughs> I would mug me. <laughs> It's in New York that's so gone. I know. You know, and those clubs and Danceteria and the yeah. Ritz and all of that, that whole world and, just and vanished. And speaking of that, like, yeah, I mean, movies is where we see old New York. Yeah, now. yeah. And you worked with the top New York director. I mean, aside from Scorsese. Lamette. Uh, yes. Yeah, one of our yeah. favorites. You know, um, that was that was such an incredible learning experience uh, uh, to to see him, and also about New York. By coincidence, having no idea we'd be talking about him, um, I actually saw over the weekend uh, a documentary about him. 
So there were all these things I didn't, I'd totally forgotten. That The Wiz was shot at the World Trade Center, at the base of the World Trade Center. Um, it, it's like I got chills looking at yeah. that, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, uh, you know, and when, and before the devil knows you're dead. That was a good one. Oh, great that's a movie film. made by... That could have been made by a young man. That's Absolutely. like that's like the Hungry Cone Brothers yep. movie. Yep. You know, and as Sydney was in his early eighties mm-hmm. when he did that. I mean, that's the most vital, violent. Yep. You know, it's a good one. Oh my God, that's one all of good. those. Incredible. That's one of those movies. I remember. I knew nothing about it, and within the first ten seconds, I'm hooked. Totally. And it's like you got to see what's going to happen each second. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't believe that he directed that at yeah. his age. You know, and he was a, uh, which which he would talk about too, which I, I, I uh, appreciated. You know, he was a kid actor in, um, in Yiddish theater. And, you know, as I said, I live in the village. I live right across the street from, um, well, at the corner was where the 2nd Avenue Deli used to be. But across the street is... Uh, I think a, a movie theater now, but it was like Cinema Village or something. Mm-hmm. But it used to be one of the great Yiddish theaters. And the building I'm in is where all the great Yiddish playwrights and actors and everyone lived. It was like the Chateau Marmont for for um, um, Yiddish players. And um, and and Sydney would talk in this in this documentary about being a kid in this area in the East Village and the coffee shops and the bars. And the theaters that were around, it was just an incredible world of, and that's where he got his, he came out of theater. It's cut his so teeth. when he rehearses and makes a movie, he does something that no one else before or since I've ever seen do. It's also at a live television, is he gets the exact dimensions of what the set's going to be. He puts down tape in an open uh, rehearsal space, and you rehearse with the actors for like two weeks. So by the time you're shooting, everybody's off book, and it's one, no more than two takes. Ron Silver once said, Sidney, I can do this in less than a take. Um, he just needed no, you know, everybody was so totally prepared. So in Running on Empty, the, you know, what a lot of people think is the, 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 the best scene, you know, the mo- most sort of emotional when uh, Christine Lottie is, sees her father while he's underground, uh, while she's been in, uh, underground all this time. Um, they did that scene in one take. About that, they had two cameras. They filmed it, maybe two, but he was like, they got it in one, and uh, and everyone knew when you read the script, here we come on the scene, here we come, and it was like one of those things where everybody was so excited for the scene to play that you know people, I, I've never the crew was more attentive than normal, you know, and people came to just watch quietly. And it was over. About it that. was over before it began. Yeah, and I remember they always used to say the real star of a Scorsese film is New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could say that about a lot of Lumet pictures. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. But Gilbert likes Bye Bye Braverman, which we've talked about, which is one of the, the lesser known Lumet. That's yeah. right. I know. I saw that. Yeah, pawnbroker. Pawn you know, you go back and you look at that body of work. Oh, and uh, Prince of the City. The Prince of the City was just just amazing. great. Yeah. yeah, and even the one you should have treat in the show, by the way. The one treat Williams. We should, should have. Oh yes, yes. Is he here in New York. We should. He is between New York and we I should have him shooting. So are you? But he's here a lot. We should have him. That's a favorite of Gilbert's too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love, love the verdict. Movie. 
Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's just that, these are movies that come on and you can't. And I've heard you you, you describe Strange Love and, and Ace in the Hole as movies like that. Like you're going to be late for yeah, dinner yeah, if they're on. Be late for dinner. But I think that's true of a lot of those Lumet pictures. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And even Q and A. I mean, mm. ones that people don't talk about as much. Look how he got Nick Nolte to. I that's great. Give that's one of the bravest goddamn performances ever. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And even, and we've talked about it, and it's. It's a movie that they use that term ahead of its time with so many movies, but really is ahead of its time, is Ace in the Hole. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it touches upon that whole idea. You know, you take tragedy or a big news story and the press, you know, makes it into a big publicity. Uh, and, and, and they perversely, they can't help it. They want that kid to be dead. Yeah. Yes. It's 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 gonna it's it'll pay for the paper. You know, it's just like and and you're down there and you're pretending you're um, you give a shit and uh you know, it's just all newsmen just vying. And it, it really is like that. I mean, when I saw the movie I I never I it's not a very well known movie, Wilders. And and I forget how I came across it. It was some time ago. And it took my breath away how cynical it was, mm-hmm. and, and and also funny. It just my, it, it's kind of my sense of humor, and um, uh, you know. And then you know, years go by. And that's how I know that this is the case. Uh, my my mother uh, lived in Nogales. It's right on the border of Mexico. Um, she was raised there, and she went there toward, for the end of her life. And my brother was was. Uh, staying with her and he went for a hike and it's very rugged country and he went to this national park and he climbed a mountain and he disappeared disappeared for turned out to be for five days and it became a huge media event wow because of the my dad was covering the oj trial and it was during that time and judge ito would say we know mr dunn is um we wish him the best we know his son is missing and um and what happened was, I mean, I, I I flew out the minute it happened before the press arrived. And matter of fact, the guy we were with, my friend Charlie Wessler, um, hired the uh, the the pilot who was the um, helicopter pilot who did the OJ chase. So we had this guy flying over the the terrain where Alex would have been, and then we saw his car in the parking lot. And the moment we called that in. News trucks, um, um, these 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 uh, special units for the police, these enormous RVs, communication centers, mules, dogs, everything just started to come into this one under this parking lot in the middle of nowhere, and then crowds, the looky loos, and yeah. the thing, and it just built and built and built, and it was like I just kept going. Ace in the hole. Every it was the it was it it was exactly like how Ace strange in the hole. and life and also art. the movie was also released as the big carnival. Yeah, they changed the title. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. And and course in the movie it's it's so strange. It's like a carnival mm-hmm. is built around the area where this guy, a coal miner, is is being uh, is dying yeah. in the mountain, and it's like. They're making money. They're selling shirts, that, and, yes, right. and Wilder was a reporter, so he knew that he knew that world. Yeah, he knew what he was writing about. And, and it was it was a 
very unpopular film, as I can imagine. As I, I remember hearing that people actually just hated it because it was just so ugly for them to see. It was like and, people go, "Why did you make that movie?" You know. And Kurt Douglas is a scumbag in it. A total scumbag. Yeah. I think he produced it too. I yeah. think he did. He liked playing those parts. Yeah. Play the bad and the beautiful. He played the a, a, oh, a, oh my. I think he God. was attracted yes. to those kind of yes. antiheroes. Yes. Great movie. Yeah. And I just reminds me of a story. I think I was doing an interview for like CNN or something, and they said, "Oh, we don't know if we can get to you yet because." There's a plane, the news story, there's a plane that's out of control in the sky. They said they don't know if the the pilot died, but the plane is moving erratically in the sky. And so I'm waiting there backstage, and they keep going, Noah's still following the story of the plane. And then this woman runs backstage excited, and she goes, great news, the plane crashed. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I actually remember that. They, they they became overcome by some sort of fumes yes. in this thing. Yeah. And it was a jet. Yeah. A private jet and it just flew until it ran out of ran out of uh, good news. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes wilder cynicism worked. Yeah. Like the, the the mix was right in things like Sunset Boulevard. Oh. Absolutely. And other times, like in Kiss Me Stupid, audiences rejected it. They rejected that he went yeah. he went too far. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast right after this. That's what you say. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rosanna Raquette, and you're here listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. Amazing colossal podcast. Okay, yeah, well, I have to get to the thing I brought up with a million guests so far. Oh, prepare yourself for this, Griffin. Okay. <laughs> this is his theory about Billy Wilder. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you, you may not be Scorsese's favorite comedian after this. <laughs> Billy Wilder, you know, he also directed, of course, Sunset Boulevard. Right where uh, Gloria Swanson's the old, old, you know, silent screen Hollywood yes. star. And and at the beginning starts off with a funeral for a chimpanzee. And they said that the direction that Wilder gave to Gloria Swanson was, remember, you are fucking the chimpanzee. <laughs> And and according to this discussion I had with of old people, Jackie the Joke Man, <laughs> yeah, we, so it must be true. We've discussed it several <laughs> times that there's a story that rich women back then used to have trained chimpanzees to perform conolingus on them. Widows, I I would imagine. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, I'd hate for this? their husband. I have never heard <laughs> that. Having to wait in the yard. <laughs> but it does it does make sense why the chimp had such a emotional impact. Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, Why would she be? Well, it could have just been an attachment to a pet, Gilbert. No. (laughs) No, there had to have been a chemistry that was unspoken. A love that has no name. (laughs) (laughs) He had an expression, (coughs) um, uh, Billy Wilder, whenever he saw someone who looked like they were really in the dumps, he used to go, What's the matter? You look like you just saw your rough cut. Oh, that's funny. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Wilder was one of those people at the house when you were a kid, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Him I did get to know uh, as an adult. Oh, that's cool. God. Yeah. And uh, loved him. Wow. He was funny, as you, we all know. But he was still showing up for work every day. He'd go to that sure office did. in Beverly Hills he in, his, go, 80s, he'd sit in his, there. his 90s. Absolutely. Yeah. He was right around the corner from Mr. Chow's, and he'd have lunch at Mr. Chow's yeah. every day. And he would say, you know, no one... Uh, no one comes to see me. I mean, instead of don't give me any awards, give me a job, you yeah. know. And and he was kind of taking it back, except for people like Cameron Crow or Sure. It's a great book. Very few people, you know, like took advantage of of, of him. You know, there was um uh it was a great um I'm having a a, a moment here, a brain moment. Uh the editor of Bonnie and Clyde and um Oh, shit. All I can think of is Thelma Schumacher, but that's not it. Uh, Ver, Ver, not Verna Fields. No, no. no. Um, a woman or a man? Woman, woman. Elderly woman. She won the Academy Award twice. Oh, I should know this. I should, too. Because, anyway, she was given an honorary position at, you know, to be the advisor at Warner Brothers. And, uh, and Dina, um, what the hell is the matter? Anyway, at the time, of course, I knew her name because she was so damn famous. We'll have our researchers Please, are, work, are working, working on, on it. it. Our working crack on team it. is working on it. And um, and she, uh, anyway, I called her up when I did the very first movie. Dee, Dee I, Allen. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my brain. Also red. Killing she, me. She edited red. Look at that. Zonia yeah, she is the baby. internet. Nice work, Magician. Zonia. Thank you, Dara. baby. Thank you. Um and Paul is taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> our, our researcher dozed. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, um, but anyway, I call her up, and I said, "Miss Allen, um, my name's Griffin Dunn. I'm about to direct um, my first feature film for Warner Brothers, and I understand you're on the lot. And um, I just want to know when I'm, you know, ready. I'd love you to be one of the first people to ever see my my rough cut." She goes, "What's your name?" I went, "Griffin Dunn." She goes, "You know." I've been here for over a year. You're the first director to ever call me. Oh. I went, well, I don't know what to tell you. Hmm. And when I got my rough cut, I indeed did. She flew to New York and stayed in the editing room with us. And, um, you know, it was just such an incredible honor to have her be so jazzed. And and, uh, at that time, I used to edit at night with my editor, Beth Kling. We finally fixed this problem. And it was around four in the morning, this problem that had been haunting us throughout the thing. And she said, uh, should we call Dina? Didi? Should we call? Well, it's four in the morning. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. Let's call her. <laughs> and she, I said, you know, we fixed the thing in the real four. It's something. She goes, I'll be right over. And, you know, her, she was, the hotel was like two, two blocks from the Burrow building where we were cutting and. She was that kind of a person. That's great. You know, That's I, great. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Addicted to Love. Did you, 
you had we had worked with Pollock, you had worked with Lumet. Were you picking up a little bit? Oh yeah, from all of these guys, because obviously you have a taste for the black comedy. Yeah, yeah, which is in your work. Yeah, I I I, I do, and I was, uh, you know, kind of there was something to learn from from everyone. Um, you know, and Marty, uh, obviously. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, certainly, certainly Marty, and um, I, I kind of always thought he, when I was producing with uh, with these extraordinary uh, directors, um, even though I was there at the very, very beginning and responsible for actually the script that they signed on to do for finding it uh, or developing it, um, I always found I always thought directing would be such an overwhelming achievement. I could never possibly do it, but when it actually came my turn sort of in life, I've never felt more comfortable in my whole life, you know, so, uh, you know, in a, in a profession. So, you know, I would nap during lunch because I remember I saw that's how Sydney gets his, I'd, I'd never eat lunch. I'd just go to my trailer and sleep for a half hour. Be totally. So I took that from him and the, the, the kind of unpredictability of, of, of Marty, I would borrow from that and, uh, you know, Sydney would talk about how if you're not quite sure what you're doing, how you could stall. I never did this trick, but I always loved this story. When he wasn't sure what the first shot of the morning should be, he needed time to think. He would point to where all the trucks had parked and go, we're going to be looking that way. And because then they'd have to move all the trucks, which would take at least an hour. And find <laughs> Very <another>. smart. <laughs> <laughs> so there was all these little tricks, True. you know, all these things. Yeah, but uh, we had Matthew here, by the way. We had Broderick. Yeah, here. Gilbert yeah. insulted him. Yes, because uh. because I fucking hate uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> Yeah! Wow. He was a sporty role to it. Yeah, I I like Matthew, and I think he's he's a good actor. I've never heard of such a thing. But I fucking hate Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We just saw it on the plane. Um, <laughs> just we looked at it again, yeah. uh, and and I was watching, and Zonia was looking at it without with with the headphones. I was looking at it without. I didn't even need it. I'd seen the movie so many times. I knew the dialogue. What? Do you hate about Ferris Bueller's Day Off? The guy's a little prick. <laughs> That's I don't you. Know. You thought he should have gone to school. Yeah, I, I. You thought. No, I thought he, he should have gotten his ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's the filmmaking I, he takes is, issue with, but the character. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. Yeah. This is like uh, the goody goody critic. Yeah. Like, oh no, he he shouldn't have done that. But. It's like when you watch the movie, the biggest villain's the principal. And what's he doing? He's saying, oh, there's a kid who's constantly playing hooky, and I have to do something about it. He's a heroic figure. That would be. And and Ferris Bueller's a fucking prick. Wow. And that. and I and I hope you're listening to this, Matthew. My <laughs> <laughs> gosh, he was so gracious uh, about it. He was. <laughs> he was very us. nice. We should do the remake and just have it be about the principal. <laughs> Him going home to his wife, and he's such a good husband. <laughs> Two movies, black comedies, uh, election. Speaking yeah, of Matthew, yeah, yeah, love. And and your picture, which is really, and this we'll talk about American Werewolf in a minute. But I but I found parallels because you said a lot of films critics don't know what to make of a film that's trying to be two things at once. Yeah, yeah. that's trying to be funny and that's trying to be dark. Addicted to love. By the way, my hat's off to you because this is dark. 
a, a, yeah. a studio picture uh, as anybody's attempted to make. The it's darkest for a comedy, I mean. comedy you, yeah, could, ever. you could do, I yeah. know. And yeah. I, I love Meg's performance, too. I love they're both so both great. Good. But, uh, you know, it was like, and, and you know, Meg, um, in preparation for that role, you you know, here you have the, the, the goddess of romantic comedies in this yeah. role that kind Just of turning it on, on its, its ear. head, you know? And, uh, you know, she read books like, you know... The the darkest books about you know, um, that the shrinker was concentration camp survivor. Um, uh, oh, I know him, Bruno Bettelheim. Yes, yeah. and she would read like really heavy, yeah. heavy shit, and um, just to like get the darkness in her face, you know. Um, Method. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, it's a good movie. And and uh, you know, you mentioned werewolf. That was that. It was critically panned by the majority of, 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 of papers because how dare it be two things. I, I went there to be scared. I don't want to be laughing. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, and, well, I'm sorry you made your laugh, but, you know, and it was it was a great tone. But you're and, attracted to that. You're attracted to that kind of subject matter. Oh, yeah. That's your, and, and After Hours is another example. Yeah. Funny and really frightening. Yeah, I know. I think, Genuinely, I think genuine people, menace. People in peril and people in pain or pretty funny i don't see why everybody doesn't get that yeah <laughs> and, and one person who we'd like to have on this show if he's listening and that and you worked with him is the uh great makeup artist rick baker oh, yeah yeah he'd be a great guest to have and yeah. uh we uh frank and i were talking about it that you are uh, you are like a living corpse right. throughout the movie, and you keep each time you pop up, you're more and more decomposing, and that this was very upsetting for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what it was when I first had the makeup on. I don't know what I expected, um, but looking in the mirror and and seeing what I would look like if I was, you know, violently murdered. It just had a, a really emotional thing for me. I don't know what it was. I remember thinking, I hope my mother doesn't see this. You know, it was like I didn't have like a, a sort of sense of humor, having just established I've got a dark sense of humor. For some <laughs> yeah. reason, I didn't about this. Interesting. And, uh, you know, when we were shooting in, in, in London, in um, Trafalgar Square, I had to walk from the hotel to um, to the movie theater. And, uh, you know, before then, people would, um, on the crew and different things, they wanted, when I was in the makeup, we were shooting at Twickenham, they wanted me to go into a bar, you know, in, in one of the pubs and, like, just order a drink and just freak people out. And I, I wouldn't do it. And uh, I just thought it would be kind of cruel. And, uh, but walking from, from, uh, the hotel to the movie theater throughout this crowd of people, you know, it was like people were really freaked out. I can imagine, and and I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy like freaking people out. I mean, it's exactly the opposite of like how you're supposed to be about in Halloween. You're supposed to walk around and shock people and all. I don't know what and it was. It's never been my. And to this, I'm not really a horror movie fan, to tell you the truth. Um. I did not enjoy um, scaring, revolting, uh, revolting other people, or mm -hmm, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. 
Well, why do you think people don't, or studios, you know the movie business, why, why are these kind of, for lack of a better word, black comedies, dark comedies, why are they so hard to do? Why are they so hard to pull off? I know you're also a fan of Strange Love, which is obviously yeah, sure. one of the granddaddies of that. Um, I, I think walking that line is really, really tough um, for, for, for a lot of people. People either, um, when it's not done successfully, it's usually the, the director or the actors sort of uh, give a little nod to a little wink to the camera, you know, whether they mean to or not, like, I'm kind of funny here, aren't I? Seeing how serious I am, and th- it's not—it's it, it, not really played straight. Some, you know, there've been so many uh, movies that people say, "Oh, it's just after hours." We just, you know, after hours almost become a, a, a you know, an adjective, yeah, uh, for a kind of movie. And and you know, if it's not done right, it's like too outrageous. You know, the circumstances are too over the top, so you kind of don't buy it. And it's missing an element of anxiety. You still have to be yeah. anxious, and the laughter still has to be a release. Um, and if it's just laughter for dark circumstances, you you've already shot your wad in the first fifteen minutes. Interesting. And and you got nowhere to go. I think about movies of the seventies. I think about things like Where's Papa? Well, I yeah. guess that was the sixties. And and even or some Harold and Maude. Or Harold and Maude. I mean, don't, they don't even they don't really attempt them anymore. Maybe election, which is more of an indie, yeah. or off the beat, you know, off the off the studio path a little bit. After and, hours, certain same thing. And, and you don't those, see them. Those two movies, like Harold and Maud and West Papa, are in that category. And you've discussed this: the category of films called the cult film. Mm, mm. And I heard you don't really like when one of your films. You've been in a few that have been called cult films, yeah, and you don't <laughs> like it. I, I don't. You know, there's a book that three movies that Amy and I have produced or I've been in. And the 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 really cute little title of this book is The Best Movies You Never Heard Of. <laughs> I don't want to be in that book. <laughs> is Once Around in that book? Yeah, yeah I think everything I've ever good. done is in that book. That's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, hats off to you and Amy for that one. Yeah, and, yeah. and and, yeah, and, and maybe it's one. you, which we yeah. discussed with Rosanna, which yeah. people have to see. Absolutely. I know it had branded the music rights issues, but yeah. it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. You guys had yeah, good you guys were young. You I used to talking to, were, I heard you talking to Eliana on her podcast. You said we didn't even know what we were doing mm-hmm. the chilly scenes of winter. Best we way went to go. and chased, chased down Ann Beattie wherever she was on yeah, campus somewhere. Yeah. Good movies. You guys had a you I guys do. had an absolute instinct for picking things. Thanks. They should be films people know not to appear in those in that book. Uh, all right, here's one I want to ask you about. Uh, where is the question that I had? This is an American Werewolf question, too, about the makeup, because Gilbert loves Rick Baker. Mm. At one point, you just sort of pulled it off your yeah. face, and you said you looked at Rick, and he was going to cry? Yeah, it was it was a <laughs> bad moment. Um <laughs> You know, it took, I had to be on the set for like at four in the morning for, with Rick. Luckily, we adored each other. So the company you keep in those times is very important. And then uh, it would start at four in the morning to, for me to be on set by, you know, nine o'clock or something. You know, it would, just, it would just take forever to put on. And you'd have to be very, very patient and zen. And David, you know, so, too, both of you. 
Yeah, but yeah. but my he 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 only had to do the transformation. Right, I was an everyday thing, and uh, uh, when the transformation was no small potatoes either. But um, but you know, it would also uh, I think that the 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 methods have improved since then. But the the stuff that they glued on my face, um, the the acrylic or whatever it was. Would as, under the lights would shrink and pull on your skin, and it would really be uncomfortable. And then Rick would have to like come in and moisturize it up and loosen it up so I could breathe, so the skin could breathe, and all that stuff. So after a fourteen-hour day, you know, you're. I was in. It was like painful. You know, it was like uh, somewhere between incredible discomfort and pain. And when we wrapped this one day, it was particularly tough. Um, usually, you take it off, Rick would, so we'd have all the pieces, and he'd use us, uh, and it was all under with spearmint gum, and he'd have like a little uh, brush, and he'd just scrape, 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 and it would take almost as long as it took to put it on. It would take so long um, just to get all the glue off and come out in one piece. And one day I just I, I just couldn't take it anymore, and I just grabbed the thing and I ripped it off my face, and it felt so good to get it off until I saw Rick's face, and it was really like, you know, I took a dump on the Mona Lisa. <laughs> you destroyed a great wow. work. It was yeah. it was that look, and I swore I'd never do it again. Wow, I, I would imagine they've improved this kind of makeup. Oh, apparently by, it's, it's by a com- now completely and different. Yeah. Matter. We're going to get him on the show. We'll ask his point of view. That makes me think. I can only imagine in the classic horror movies that I was in love with, like with Karloff and Cheney and Lugosi, it's like what that makeup must have been because oh. that was really well, primitive. You, yeah, you know, um, tortured. Yeah, um, um, uh, the Frankenstein thing. I mean, that nearly that nearly killed him. Yeah, uh, you know, it would like it discolored his skin and. You know the the pores; they couldn't breathe, and it would take twice as long. It must have been incredible. Oh, you think back to the Wizard of Oz and Buddy Epson having oh, that, almost that died. died from that metallic, that's right, the, the, that's to right. the dust and the in the yeah in the makeup. You know, watch. Uh, I want to recommend too to our listeners to watch the American Werewolf in London commentary with you and David, which yeah. is a lot so much fun. And I hadn't seen the movie in years. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun to visit it. Revisit it. I mean, it really it really creates a world. And you were a kid. Yeah, yeah, it's like sure was. And, one and, of your first things. And most importantly, uh, Jenny Agutter. Oh, uh, lovely. Was one of those <laughs> actresses that didn't mind getting naked for movies. No. Yeah. No, so I'm getting your kid on. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so so she's one of my favorites. I know. I love her. Love her, love her. <laughs> she was great. Uh, we have to just, these are wild cards. Can we ask you one thing about uh, Me and Him, the Talking Penis mm, movie? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, is hard to find. Cause it's Thank just, God. <laughs> the weirdest career choice in history. Uh, I, I, yeah. Uh, well, you're you a know, chance taker, Griffin. You're very a, bold. You're a risk taker. Very, very bold. And uh, I knew, uh, first of all, it's based on a, on a very, on, on Italy's most famous writer. Yes, I know. Writer, <laughs> who also wrote the, the Conformist, you know, one of the great Bertolucci movies. Very difficult, so it was sub- a different serious, subject matter. So it's a serious, serious, 
material about a man who talks to his penis. I get it. I get it. Directed by Doris Dory, who was very hot off a film called Men. Yeah. So there was a certain logic. I knew it was a little risky. Uh, but I remember uh, driving to the set of uh, um, uh, Running on Empty. Uh-huh. And I'm on the George Washington Bridge. And I it had just been announced what about the movie and what it is. And I'm listening to Howard Stern. And all of a sudden, I'm driving on the thing in the on the bridge. And he goes... Griffin Dunn is doing a movie called Me and Him uh, about a guy who talks to his penis. Who wants to see Griffin Dunn's penis? <laughs> First of all, it's got to be really, really small. It's got to be this. And he starts putting down my penis. And I, I almost lose control of the car. Uh, and I went, funny. oh, this is only the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert was not on that particular episode of Howard Stern no. Show. <laughs> he would have ganged up on you. So you heard the Irwin Winkler episode. You know that Gilbert likes to ask about the flops. So just okay. one question about who's that girl. Yeah. Which, by the way, I did some research. You got excellent notices. Everybody loved me. New York Times loved you. Yeah. Chicago Trib uh -huh. loved you. Do you remember any of the horrible, horrible reviews <laughs> of who's that girl? Uh I really, uh, I, I remember just that I got good reviews. <laughs> Very good. Events and Candy said you were the best thing in it. Yeah. yeah. No, I got a lot of that. <laughs> so I thought, I think it's time to make a movie about a guy who talks to his penis. Yeah. <laughs> Let me take all that goodwill and run with it. I'm friendly with the guy that wrote that original script, which was called Slammer. Guy named Andrew Smith. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to work at the View before oh, really? before no me, uh -huh. Small World. But he wrote and he wrote uh, uh, the main event, the Streisand picture. Oh right. So he wrote sure, he dabbled sure, in sure. screenwriting. But uh, that thing went through a lot of changes. I know. I heard you say you what you remember was the the paparazzi was how famous she was and yeah. the, the the chaos, uh, total chaos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'd have to reloop scenes just because helicopters. You know, when we were shooting outdoors, you know, drowned out our dialogue. It was like a, uh, we were shooting in front of um, Trump Tower on the day of the marathon. Okay. And the guy who's the building is named after, this, this star fucker. Um, oh, he's the president now, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he came down because he heard Madonna was there for have his picture taken with Madonna and me. Not that he knew who I was. Uh, but there's a picture of of him, and he's so he's there, and the marathon is 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 we're near the the the, the finish line is not far away, and the word must have gotten around the the runners that a Madonna was shooting, and people they're they've only got like 500 yards of the finish line, they stop running and they come over to watch the shooting, drenched in sweat, like. That kind of crazy look in their eye, and I, went, and I was thinking, just finish the race. You just ran twenty four miles. <laughs> finish the race and then come back and watch. You know, but it was that kind of like zealotry. You know, that was wherever she go. That you just blow off the finish line with the hope of seeing her. I watched know? the movie. I do very very deep research, as you can uh, see. I see. Did you God, learn defense? This is like being on sixty minutes. Did you learn to? 
I did. To, 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 to work with a sword? Yes, I worked, with, uh, I worked with one of the great swordsmen uh, uh, in Hollywood at the time. He was um, uh, the for, for um, uh, my nose. Oh, Cyrano. Cyrano. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he was uh, the Ferrer's... Um, Miguel Ferrer's father is how I know him. Jose. Jose. <laughs> yes. Um, he was Jose's uh, um, coach. He did a lot of the great movies at the time. I he could tell. A, mm-hmm. Yes. You were, quite, you were quite good at it. I loved it. Okay, wild cards. Uh, do you want to tell us, first of all, as I was saying to you outside, we have to recommend the doc that you made about your aunt. Yes. Which we had in the intro, which is just lovely. Thank you. And, uh, I mean, it's fascinating. On so many levels. I mean, her connection to the Donner Party that it opens with. And she mm-hmm. wrote that story when she was five years old or something about yeah. the, 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 the woman who dies in the, in the desert. It's a, it's a fascinating movie. And you and, and, and Joan are the last of the Mohicans mm-hmm. in this, yeah, this in, dynasty. In the family, yeah, 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 yeah. Really worth seeing. Oh, thanks. I'm very proud of it. And, um, you should be. And, and, she, uh, and, and, and she liked it a lot, too. And it was... It was uh, uh, it was really, uh, it was really nice to see how um, how it affected people so deeply. And people who didn't know her books, kind of went out and got her books. And uh, people who did, you know, were it just filled in all the information they were already hungry to know. You know, so I, I was really glad how it turned out. Yeah, and interesting. It's full of surprises, like how that 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 dialogue in that John Wayne movie affected her her whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, just yeah. a, just a very interesting person. Yeah, and she w- wound up becoming, you know, she cataloged this this big period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was. Uh, I was thinking of that when I was looking at the HBO, um, uh, how they see us about Central Park Five. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, she so, was. I was. She was involved in that, obviously. And she wrote one of the you know defining pieces about the media. Yeah, and and. Uh, and about the city. It's a great story about yeah. New York City at that time. And that cast an enormous amount of doubt on 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 this. Rather heroically, I might say, yeah. because she was and, because it was and not a lone voice. Yes, that's I what mean, I mean. If you remember that time yes. period, there was yes. there was really not a lot of people running around saying, I think those kids are innocent. It's a very sweet film and and, and people need to see it. And the documentary about your dad after the party, which I know you didn't make, I, yeah. is fascinating. Yeah. 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 A fascinating life. Do you want to ask Griffin about the first movie he saw in a movie theater? I was just going to ask that. Because <laughs> it's, oh, it's your favorite. fuck. I was just going to ask that. Uh, tell us the first movie you saw in a theater. Uh, I can tell you, but I can't tell. I can tell you who's in it, and I can tell you the scene that I remember. I'll but know. I don't know the title. We can do it. It was a Jerry Lewis movie. Okay. He'll know. That's why I bring it okay. up. Okay. And... It's a, it's a, he put an entire pack of cigarettes in his mouth <laughs> and smoked the cigarettes in the whole pack. And I must have been around five or something. I fell down laughing so hard. I thought it was the funniest thing I ever saw. And for some reason, I want to think he's in a space. He's in a, a Yeah, Gil, you know it. There, there was that one, uh, oh, God. You know it, Gil. Oh, there was that one he did with Dick Sean. No, it's not Way, Way no, Out. No, not Way, Way it's Out. It's the one based on the Gore Vidal story. Oh, a little visit to a little planet? A small planet. Was, visit, visit to, to a, small a small planet. planet. That's based on a Gore Vidal story? Can you believe that? Yes. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> that, I, I know. know. I know, that's a head turner. Yeah, yeah so that's the movie. It was basically like the original uh, Mark and Mindy, where... Right. 
He learns about the that's earth. That's right. So he was like a, a, a Martian, and that's what he was smoking cigarettes, because yeah. that's what he thought. Yeah. Got it. Uh, but then Griffin met him later in life, and he wasn't very nice to him. Oh, surprise, <laughs> surprise. Well, I don't mean to devastate you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he was always he, nice to kill. <laughs> I, see, Jerry Lewis is one of those people I can use the classic line, well, he was always nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet he loved you. <laughs> Before we get out of here, what what do you want to plug? I mean, there's so so much good stuff, and you you're you're in all kinds. I heard you say something about how you know independent film isn't what it used to be, and it and making independent films kind of breaks your heart. And now a lot of that is in television. Yeah, exactly. And you're in all all these hit shows, all these smart shows, Romanoffs and Succession, mm-hmm. and I'm and going the Pamela to- Adlon show, and yeah, um, I'm actually doing now. And uh, oddly. It- a network show, which I haven't done in a very long time, uh, but it's an incredible part that uh, kind of came my way to be in um, a family member in This Is Us. Yes, and yes. Um, I'm playing. Um, uh, for those of you who can't see what I look like, I look about thirty, thirty-one. <laughs> um, he does. Yeah, and, uh, but I'm playing a guy who's. Uh, I, I played seventy-five in one section, eighties in the other. And, yeah. I, uh, it's another makeup gig. It's all right. Well, the 70s is not enough makeup, but um, but for later, yeah. So anyway, I'm doing that. Uh, I'm going to leave for L.A. to start shooting that in the end of July. And you're in the West, the new Wes Anderson. Yes. What a, and uh, that's great. That was well, the most fun ever. Wow. Yeah. And here's something I've, I brought up. We've discussed a few times on this show. Like today, on the way over here, I was on the Upper East Side, and I saw... A movie marquee, and I remember thinking, a, a movie theater, what's that? Yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. like that's... On the way out. That's like vaudeville I movie theater. incredible. You know the Upper East Side yeah. at all? I near, do. Near me, since I moved back here from L.A. in 2003, which isn't that long ago, I've, I've watched, I think, six theaters shut down? Shut down, no, I know. Um, 86th Street Theater just shut down. Did uh, it really? The one between 3rd. I know just the one you mean. And 2nd Avenue, well, or 3rd Wasn't that like, that had a bunch of Yeah, theater. it's a fourplex, gone. Oh, they're all bummer. They're disappearing yeah. at, 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 a, at a record rate. Wow. Uh, I just went to a movie theater, uh, and I realized how long it had been this weekend. We went to see The Dead Don't Die at a uh, movie theater, and I have a, a house in upstate New York, and there's a little movie theater up there and it was so nice to like sit and watch a movie with a bunch of strangers and i thought how weird that especially a this comedy is like something i'm noticing yeah you know yeah um that we just took for granted you think it's on the way out or we're just just tentpole movies i think so. you know uh, it's it, it's it's hard to say i i i certainly hope not but you know the entertainment has been Confronted with so many tragedies and crises, from you know, here's tell you know the birth of television is going to ruin the movies, and talkies are going to ruin the silence. You know, I mean, it was like it's a constantly evolving as technology evolves, as audiences evolve. Um, you know, it's it, it's hard to say. I think people will always still be drawn to the humanity aspect. Of I it. hope so. But the the idea of like growing up and going. Hey, we're sitting around. Let's see a movie. Mm-hmm. I you think grew that's up in gone. Brooklyn, right? With yeah. neighborhood theaters. I grew oh, up in yeah. Ozone Park yes. in Queens. Double, double features, Same. I right, remember. Right, right. 
Yeah. I used to go see the Planet of the Apes movies five uh, oh. <laughs> five in a day yeah. in succession <laughs> in the old Cross Bay Theater in Queens, which is now a Models. It's a, a lot of that is disappearing. Yeah. And from Manhattan, too. No, I didn't know about the 86th Street. What a bummer. It's gone. Yeah. All right. All right. What else do you want to plug? Right. I plugged. I'm oh, all plugged I wanna, out. I want to tell people to see this uh, I Love Dick oh, yes. on Amazon. <laughs> That you can see, you can see that what's, for the rest of your life. Hilarious! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that sounds like the name of the talking penis movie. I'm yeah. just saying they're, they're not related. I, I was so, I still have such PTSD for making the talking penis movie that I called. I would, I could, couldn't really say the name of the series once it was going, so I would call it. I'm terribly fond of Richard. Yeah. <laughs> Great actors, boy. Yeah, I know. The, the, it was a guess. Yeah. yeah. You and Bacon and it just... I, I loved it. It's Catherine so, Hans. Uh, Catherine Hans. The just three of us had brave, so much fun. Brave, act, brave performances, oh, all of you. Incredible. Yeah. So I'm just going to tell people, to, if you know, if our listeners haven't seen After Hours by this point in the show, almost 200 episodes oh, oh, in, yes. a, a shame on you, but, but, but see, baby, it's you. Uh, uh, Griffin's movie, Addicted to Love, the documentary, the Joan Didion documentary, which mm-hmm. is great. We didn't even talk about Practical Magic. Mm-hmm. I suspect you're a Harry a Harry Nielsen fan. I certainly am. Yes, that was, was. I wanted that them to be dancing to that one. Yeah, and Panic in Needle Park, which which is yes. another fa- another family project. Yeah, that my dad and uh, produced and aunt and uncle wrote. Yeah, p- people need to see this stuff. Yeah, you sh- you need to write a book, my friend. All right. Well, this is good and, Good practice. And people need to read up on the cunnilingus chimpanzees <laughs> in old Hollywood. <laughs> We're going to get to the bottom of that. And you work with a monkey and addicted to love. Yeah, let me tell you one quick thing about that monkey. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> was... Terrifying. Uh, uh, the, the Hot Zone, you remember that movie? Sure. Uh, so, here we have, like, movie stars in Addicted to Love. Yeah. It's the first day of shooting. You'd think we'd all be... Everyone was so excited because we got the monkey from the hot zone. <laughs> and it was like, there's the monkey, and the monkey is there. And we're like, oh, and we're all catering to the monkey. We're so excited. First take of my first feature action the monkey was supposed to jump from one shoulder onto somebody else's shoulder. The monkey jumps onto the shoulder, jumps off the shoulder, runs up Fifth Avenue. <laughs> God. <laughs> we stopped shooting for two hours. They got a fire truck to take that fucking monkey out of the, on 34th Street and bring him back to the set. I hate that monkey. <laughs> that actor's terrific, by the way, that Turkish actor whose name escapes me. Oh, uh, 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 yeah, uh, Cheki Carrier. Really oh, funny. My God, one of the greats. Good movie. Yeah. Gil? So, Man has a life he's got to get back to. Okay, so you're going to be doing a sequel to the Talking Dick movie <laughs> about a cunnilingus monkey. monkey. <laughs> okay. That's Any- my next project. <laughs> anyway, this has been Gilbert... Go- yeah, I'm Gilbert Gottfried. Are you sure? Uh, yeah, I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and I can't get a fucking ticket to a Martin Scorsese movie. <laughs> So fuck you, Martin Scorsese. Come here and suck my... Come here and talk to my dick. Okay? Talk to my fucking cock, Martin Scorsese. That just may get him here. Yes. And we've been... And I've been sitting here uh, with 
Frank Santo Padre, who has spoken to my dick a few times. <laughs> trade, no trade secrets. Yes. And, and we've been talking to the great Griffin Dunn. Griffin, thanks, man. Well, thank Hope you. you this fun, is a guest. Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santa Padre, with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn. 